0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and being found in human form, he's humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, prepare our hearts for, for your word. That as we listen about humility, may it reach the crevices of our pride of ourself, and may your humility be evident for all of us. Lord, I pray that our, our hearts are ready to accept that. I pray the Holy Spirit be strong and open everyone's minds and ears to hear, to listen, to understand. Lord, I pray for uh, my brother Randall to be used as a vessel for your word, to preach the gospel in times of confusion, in times of uneasiness. Lord, I pray that the church itself is a safe, safe space. So I pray for every single person here, for everything that they're going through, and I pray that we leave it to you, Lord and that we know in the under the foot of the gospel that we are all equal and that we need you so Lord thank you for the humility you've shown us and you continue to show and I pray that as a as a body of believer that we that we see that so Lord thank you we love you and we praise in Jesus name amen
0: Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, I'm a pastor of Grace City. And um, I hope that, um, you know, as, as Ryan just said, is our prayer would just be focused on uh, what does it mean to have uh, humility? You know, this is the this, this scripture right here is one of those um, mountain peaks of scripture, If you ever think about the the scriptures, uh, this is one of those mountain peaks that that gives us a glimpse into who God is, into who Jesus is, and and what what he came to do. And so uh, we've been studying the book of Philippians, if you're just joining us today. We we just finished up chapter 1. We are into chapter 2 now. And we are looking at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And today's message is a call for humility. A call for humility. So what causes so many fights coral corals uh, in our world today? What causes it? Uh, we can turn on our news or our social media feed and it's everywhere, isn't it? I had a uh, I saw one post, he said, uh, you need to watch yourself in these uh, social media streets. You know, you you need to watch yourself. Uh, There's a lot out there that can get you at any moment, at any time. Uh, People are posting things uh, very rapidly, quickly, and uh, judgments are being made immediately about what side you're on or, or what you believe. There is constant fighting and quarrels Everywhere we turn. Analysts say that our nation is more divided and polarized than ever before. Why is that? Well, some will tell us that it's just a lack of education. It's a lack of education that some people have this education, some don't, and so it's just a lack of education. But what does the Bible say? James 4, one through two, says this. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul breaks down why there's so much fighting in the world and he gives us this gospel call to believers for humility, for humility. See, why was this so important for the Philippians to hear? Well, commentator Moises Silva said, the Philippians' afflictions have brought discouragement to the community they have lost or at least are in the danger of losing the fundamental Christian perspective of joy. How many of you here today have walked in exhausted? How many of you have walked in today feeling discouraged? How many of you have walked in feeling overwhelmed, anxious, worried? The uncertainty That fills our hearts and minds. How many of you have felt that way? See, this passage for Paul is very much uh, what you will a family meeting. You know, one of the things that we call it, we, we say for our family, we say, we call ourselves Team Tanini. We say, Team Tanini, it's time to have a family meeting time to gather in the living room because things are going a little haywire in the house right now and so we need to have a family meeting and for the apostle paul as he's looking at the philippians and the discouragement that they're going through he's saying it's time for a family meeting that's the spirit of what i hope today as we study this passage together that we we see we experience we feel Because despite our circumstances, there is a joy that we can have in our lives because of Jesus. It's possible. It's possible. But as 1 Peter 4.17 says, judgment starts with the household of God. It starts with us. See, if we're looking at a, a nation right now that is divided, that is in turmoil, yet for us, What does it look like within the church? What does it look like among us as believers? Because the call for humility is for a purpose. You know what his purpose is? To be together as one, to be unified, to be brothers and sisters, a family. And so, as we look at this passage today, when we talk about starting with the household of God, we have to understand that sometimes God uses things to test us and our commitment to Jesus, strengthen our faith, and to trust him through whatever we are going through in life because he's consistent. He is absolutely consistent in an inconsistent world. And so our text is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And Paul, just to give some context here, is writing to the Philippian church from prison. So he's imprisoned. Uh, Some uh, believe that he might be in Rome, he might be in Ephesus, in prison. But um, Philippi in particular, the people that he's writing to is a Roman colony. And they are under the rule of Nero. Now, some of you might have heard of Nero before. Others might not have heard of Nero. But I want to give you a glimpse into who Nero is as a ruler. Tacitus, who was a historian. He's not a Christian historian. He's just a historian in Rome. Uh, Here's what he says about Nero. He says, um, there, Christians' death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in Wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs, or fastened to crosses and set on fire in order to serve as torches by night. Nero had offered his gardens or the spectacle and gave an uh, exhibition in his circus, mingling with the crowd in the guise of a charioteer or mounted on his chariot. Hence, there arose a feeling of pity because it was felt that they were being sacrificed not for the common good, but to gratify the savagery of one man. Okay, we think we have it hard. But I'm telling you, like when when the, the Philippians are under the rule of this type of leader, there is a consistent God that they keep coming back to again and again. And so, in this passage, Paul is calling believers to recognize three things. When we think about the disunity, here's what he he encourages us to think about. He says, number one, the enemy within. Number two, the greatest victory. Number three, the eternal implications. The enemy within, the greatest victory, the eternal implications. The first one but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is a lot here. There's a lot in this whole text. I, I, I feel like we could do this for a long time, right? We can stick in this passage. And so I'm gonna give you the overview here, but I, I, I think this is gonna be helpful for us today. So the first one is this. Before anything, Paul directs his readers... To how God has treated them. Remember, He's talking to believers here. Okay, and so um, grammatically, the way He kind of sets this up is uh, He starts with in verse one the indicatives. Now, grammatically, going back to grammar school, indicatives are you know the things that have been accomplished or done not what we're gonna do, right? So it's like, it's, it's not the imperatives, but it's the indicatives, the things that have been done. So here's what he's telling you, he's saying this, he's like, if you've had any encouragement in Christ, and this if, a better way of saying it is because. Because. Because you've been encouraged in Christ. Because you've experienced comfort from his love because you have this participation in the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. He says, any affection and sympathy. I want to stop there for just a minute. When we think about Jesus when we think about the life of Jesus, when we think about the way that he treated people at their worst, what Paul is calling us to remember is this. How did Jesus treat us in our worst moments? This is an important question because for some of us, we think to ourselves, he, he was like, he's like my father treated me. I told you this, caught you. Some of us think that. But when we read through the scriptures and we see who Jesus associated with and and how he was treated because he associated with them, I want you to see that Jesus has an affection and sympathy to say, I'm right there with you. Now, when Jesus invites sinners to sit around the table with him, does he say, yep, you're on the right path? No. But he was with them with the hopes that there was a better life for them. And I want you to know that when Jesus sits with us, thinking about the affection and sympathy that he's had towards us, in our worst moments, in our worst sins, I want you to remember what it says in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, that is a different perspective. That is a different way of life. Because for many of us, we think it's this clean up my behavior, and then God will accept me. And that's the way we look at other people clean up your behavior and then I'll be around you. Think like I do, and then I'll associate with you. That is the natural mind of man. But when Jesus comes in, he says, while we were still sinners, he loved us so much that he died for us. Friends, that is the gospel, that is the message. That's what he's saying to every one of us first before he says anything else. He says, have you experienced that? Have you experienced the grace of God? Have you experienced that God met you in your worst moments and said, look at the cross because I died for you. You gotta know that personally to start out with before you get anywhere when it comes to unity. You have to start with What the Apostle Paul is saying, have you experienced any kind of encouragement from God, comfort from God, love from God, participation in the spirit that God has done something in your life, uh, affection, sympathy? This is about the great lengths that God has gone to love us. And Paul is highlighting this before he gets to the insidious problem that we all have. Before he gets to the problem, he's saying, okay, remember, Christ loved you first. Now I'm gonna start to do some surgery here. Now we're gonna start to do some work here because you wanna know what the deep-rooted problem is? Okay, I'm gonna tell you, but I gotta tell you this part first. I gotta tell you the gospel first. See, based on the gospel, then Paul makes his request. He starts with the gospel, then he goes into this. He says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. So, what unites believers? What unites us? See, the prevailing creed in our society is this. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. And essentially, we have no baseline for what truth is. And for many of us, we're like Pilate when he's standing before Jesus and he says, Truth, what is truth? Friends, that's the culture we live in. That's the culture we live in. That is the prevailing idea of our culture. But for Christians, is that true? Is that how we live? Because when we talk about this one mind, what is it that we, we all kind of gather around? It's not my truth or your truth. It's God's truth. It's God's truth. And there's an assumption that I'm making here, but when we come to this, the assumption is that you believe that this is God's word. And something that I know for myself is that I'm convicted that this is God's word. I've studied this. I've researched. I, I'm like, there, there's no other book like this. This has to be God's word. We keep coming back to it again and again and again. And so that's why we tell you every week, like we're gonna open up our Bibles. We're gonna study what this says. We're gonna look at the context of of what this is because that's why it's so important. God has given us a foundation to stand on, his word. And here's the thing, I know that not every one of us here believes that today, but I hope that you will explore this truth and that this will be a safe place for you to engage in that if your mind isn't there yet and you're saying, I don't know. I'm struggling with that. But that this will be a safe place for you to ask questions and wrestle with that and get to that place because you, you wanna know what? Every one of us who've been in the faith for a while, we've had those same struggles too. We've had those same struggles too. But to get to that place... See, for many Christians, we've fallen into the trap, as uh, my friend Yoni says, a TikTok theology. A TikTok theology, where we get these snippets from the Bible and we incorporate it into our ideology and theology and the way that we do things, and we don't come back to this and we don't wrestle with this. But I just wanna tell you, I'm not a Twitter pastor. I'm not a social media pastor. I'm a local church pastor. And I want you to know that I'm here to serve you as a church family and to wrestle with you, the, 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 the truths of this and to, to, to say, okay, how do I grow, what does this mean? making disciples, okay, what does that look like? What does the scripture say about this or that? Because I had somebody ask me this. They said, okay, like, what kind of people come to your church? What kind of people come to your church? Do woke people come to your church? I said, I hope so. I hope all types of people come to our church so that we can talk about what the scriptures say. Friend, that, that's what this is about. I, we're gonna come back to God's word. And there are people who are struggling, like, man, I've been discipled by this world. I don't know where to go. I don't know what the word of God says. But do you know what's happened? We're afraid of each other. We're afraid to talk to each other. We're afraid to say, this is what I'm really thinking. This is how I voted. All of those things. And do you know what? The enemy loves that. He loves it. Because he can make us buy into that idea that we can label somebody and say, oh, I don't want to talk to them because they're this or that. They're too this or that. Whatever you want to fill in, conservative, liberal, whatever it might be, they're too that to talk with them. And do you know that the Apostle Paul would rebuke that? He's saying you are of the same mind because you're Christ. Can we not be afraid of each other and lean in and create a safe space for us to really talk and to really make disciples and say, hey, we might not be on the same page, but hey, at the end of the day, let's let's work through this together. How many safe places you got like that? Right? But there's an enemy within that's just keeping us separated, pulled apart. And it's not of God. It's not of God. Can we just stop it with all the labels and stuff and get back to this? And instead of labeling somebody, say, oh, this is that person's name, right? This is that person's name and like, that's my friend and we can talk about things. Man, it's hard. Justin Gibney says, Christians must be critical thinkers and question the assumptions and conclusions presented to us. We shouldn't simply accept the issues that they've been framed by political parties, ideological tribes, or the media because these sources usually aren't analyzing the issues from the standard of the gospel. See, What does it look like to be of one mind to come around and say, okay, if this is God's truth, like let's wrestle with this together. And so my challenge to you is do you have someone safe that believes that the Bible is God's perfect word and that you can talk with about the issues in our culture because there's so many hot button issues. There are so many. Can you just have a safe person that you can talk with? And if you're like, no, man, I am here and I love you. Next, he says, having the same love. The word here for love is agape, agape. This word is usually associated with a love for God, a love for God. In his book, Love in Hard Places, Don Carson suggests that ideally the church isn't composed of natural friends, but rather natural enemies. What binds us together, here's what he says, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of the common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have been, all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who are who love one another for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. I want you to think about Jesus' twelve disciples. Okay? What a crazy group of people. How do they all get along? Right? You've got Matthew, who's a tax collector. You got James and John who are just blue collar, like ready to fight at any moment. Peter. All of them have these different beliefs. Yet, what is the thing that grounded them? This guy, Jesus. (laughs) This guy, Jesus. We're just going to follow Jesus. What's going to unite the church? It's coming together for Jesus' sake. And next, Paul gets to the root of the problem, the why. And so this is where we really got to do the heart work. This is the surgery stuff. It's the enemy within. Paul uses two words here to define the root issues that we have. The first one is selfish ambition. The second one is uh, conceit or vain glory. And so for the first word that he uses here uh, is selfish ambition. And and the Greek word is erothea. And so what does that mean? Well, this is a great uh, snippet here, a description from Timothy Keller. He says, this is the spirit that makes you take things personally. This is the spirit that makes every discussion about you not about an issue, not about a truth. And some people are way down here with this spirit, erothea, this selfish ambition, this spirit of rivalry. Is what we call it, the spirit of rivalry. The spirit of rivalry is that which makes it impossible for you to think about the issue in front of you. Instead, you think about it, uh, think about what is this doing to my pride? What is this doing to my relationship? What is this doing to my reputation, my standing? How does it make me look? Most of us use the term personality clash. We say, well, you know, the discussion in our office is a debate between that person and that person over this issue. But the fact is that they hate each other. They'll find anything to argue about. That's what Paul is talking about here. There's a pattern of behavior, the spirit of rivalry that makes you take everything personally. So instead of being governed by thought or reason, it's not about truth. It's not about issues. It's really not a matter of content. It's personal. This has to do with me Paul is saying that this is a pattern of behavior that creates all this strife. So first, when we think about ourselves, um, the, the root of all of this, he says, is the Erethea, the selfish ambition. When I've talked about sin before, we've talked about what is sin. Sin is when I is at the center, right? It's sin, I is at the center, <laughs> it's all about me, and that's it. But secondly, he talks about this. He talks about, okay, there's this struggle with erothea where we want to make it about ourselves. But the second is vainglory. The, the word is uh, kenodoxia. And, and this is a, this is a starvation of, for self-importance. A starvation for self-importance. Um, if anybody suggests that we aren't important, if anybody snubs us, We lose it. It's not rational. There's a fundamental instability within our hearts, within here. Here's what it is. We feel small and insignificant. And so we lean into making ourselves feel like we're bigger. We're bigger. You're going to notice me. And so the reason that the Apostle Paul is pointing this out is he's saying this is the the root of a lot of our fights, a lot of our quarreling, is all we see is ourselves, and we feel small, so I'm gonna make myself look bigger. And so what's the answer that he gives? He says, let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, what this is, is saying, it's not that your ideas and values and all those things, like, we hear you, but also, am I willing to listen to others? Am I also willing to have a teachable spirit? It's not that I only look to what I think, but am I open to what other people think? And could that be something that sharpens me? Am I teachable? Look not only to your own interests, which is important, but also look to the interests of others. C.S. Lewis once said, Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, tearing yourself down, feeling like, I don't matter. But it's not also not on the other side. The way I put it to my wife, I was like, it's not like you're a bulldozer, but it's also not like you're a doormat, right? You're not either of those things. And so there is a battle within that we all face. But the second is this, the greatest victory. Look at verses five through eight. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, look to Christ, look at what he's done for you, but also look within and see that there's this thing that's inside of you that's fighting all the time. It's the reason, it's the cause for a lot of our fights and quarrels and all that stuff. But now, like, let's look at Jesus again. And let's be a little bit more specific. See Paul as he's pointing to Jesus, he's pointing to the greatest victory. The greatest victory of all. He says this he says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's pointing to something that's not like, oh, I wish I had it. He's saying, no, there's something that you have as a Christian that you can lean into that you might be missing out on right now. Like as you're getting discouraged, as you're looking at all the things that are dragging you down, there is a mindset that you have right now that you can lean into that's not this, but over here. You have it. It's yours. And here's what he says it is. He says... who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking a form of a servant. What this is telling us is is now, you saw like the outward, right? We we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see the gospels, but Paul is taking us to another level. He's he's taking us into Jesus' heart. He's taking us into how Jesus thought. This word for mind here is, is a very multifaceted word. Some translated disposition, some translated attitude. Why? It's because the type of transformation that you and I need, it's a multifaceted transformation. It's gonna cover every part of your life. It's gonna break into places where you're saying, no, I'm in charge there. And then you're like, no, I'm not. See, something Is meant to happen, and the reason it happened is because something happened outside of you that is now brought into your life. What's that thing? The source of change. It's this that outside of you, God became man and embraced your worst fears, my worst fears, your worst nightmares, and my worst nightmares. That's what he embraced you know what it is? It's the fear that you'd be forgotten. It's the fear that you don't matter. It's the fear that there's no way that you could ever be loved. It's the fear that you are completely forgotten. And when Jesus, when it says that Jesus, the way that it talks about it here, it says says that um, he did not, Oh, though he was in the form of God, the, the form is this, the, the, the essence of God, right? The essence of, of who God is. He is God. Jesus is God. Did not count equality with God. So he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Basically what it's saying is this. Jesus is God, yet he came and gave up his rights to be treated as God. He gave up his rights. He had every right to, to when he came to earth, to every knee would bow, every tongue confess that he is God. But he said, it, it says that he gave that up. It's the kenosis passage. He emptied himself of that. And Paul is saying, look at it. Look at it. It's like Pilate in Jesus Christ Superstar when he says this. He says, oh, so this is Jesus Christ. I am really quite surprised. You look so small, not a king at all. You look so small, not a king at all. That's the heart of what he took on for you and me. When somebody looks at you and says, oh, that's your resume? Oh, that's all you've done? Or just completely ignores you altogether? Because you know that's one of the, the worst things, right? It's, it's not just being hated. It's being ignored. It's being ignored. But, but that Jesus took that on for you, and he took that on for me, in humility, in his book, Humilitas, ancient historian John uh, Dixon says, this. it's not gonna be on the screen, but he says, in ancient Rome, humility was a negative word associated with defeat. Humility before the gods and emperors was advised, but humility towards an equal was regarded as ill-informed. One of the prized virtues was love of honor. Academic research found that a humility revolution took place in the middle of the first century. Not only because of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' crucifixion changed the way people understood greatness and humility. The cross of Christ was contrary to the understanding of greatness in the ancient world. Do you understand like the radical change that's happening here as it talks about Jesus like not equating himself with who he is and, and saying, okay, I'm gonna come down in the human form be spit on, be put on a cross, the worst form of punishment and death in the Roman world? That's what he took on? And this is important. Many believe that in the early church, this was a hymn that they would sing in their church, this section. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the human likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. They would sing this. They would sing it. Why? Because as you are humbling yourself in a culture that isn't humble (laughs) you're going to feel like, okay, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can go down this path anymore. And what do songs do? They come back to your mind and you keep singing it to yourself again and again and again. You're saying, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And the people of God had to keep coming back, singing this song about humility, saying, this is the way. And as they were singing that they were remembering this, that he became small so that we could become significant. And Jesus, his victory, we find that our victory can happen over our, our greatest fears and nightmares. Because Jesus, the greatest victory of all, Third, the eternal implications. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this text has an already not yet aspect to it. And what I mean by that is that there's an already aspect that that this is who he is. Jesus is seated on the throne This is how life is, like it's, as a believer today, we should look at Christ, every knee bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yet there's a not yet, there's an aspect to it, that all things will be made right. That the chaos of the world will end, that all things will be brought together in the end through Jesus. And that's a hope that we have. See, this is a call to remember the future that we have because of Jesus, but also a current call to lay down our agendas and look to Christ and say, Christ, you're in charge. See, you and I were not made for vain glory, empty glory, trying to puff ourselves up, make ourselves look big, but we were made for the glory of God. Tony Ranky says, Our fights are spurned by our coveting desires to be satisfied in the world. Do you hear that? To be satisfied in the world. I want to be satisfied in the world, in the way that things are right now. I want to make it the way I want it to be. That's what we want. We want to make it, that's why we we fight so much. But what stops our fights is our proximity to God. What stops our fights is our wanting who he is. What stops our fights is finding our souls satisfied by what we believe is our ultimate good. The solution to our conflicts is not emotional numbness. The solution is to become awakened to new desires. The resolution to our fury is to have souls that are broken by sin, washed in humility, and now not only attracted to God, but redeemed and made lovely, humble souls that in turn further attract the affection of God. That's the call. Broken before God. We do not have because we do not ask God. (laughs) And so this is the eternal implications to this. Friends, I just want to give you a, a heads up. What's the prize at the end? What's the prize at the end? What do we get? When we die as Christians, what do we get? We get God. We get God. Is that the gift you're looking for? Is that the thing that's going to satisfy your soul more than anything? Is that the prize? Because when we look at Scripture, it says that that's the pearl of great price. That's worth selling everything for. That's saying, okay, lose the whole lose the whole world, yet I get Christ. That's it. That's the eternal implications. And so some takeaways. How can you and I be different? I know this is a lot today. It's a lot. I pray that this, it's gonna take a lot to process. But I just want you to know that we're here, okay? I'm here. We can work through this together. But how can you be different? Number one, admitting there's an enemy within. Admitting there's an enemy within. I just gotta know that there's something in me that's fighting all the time. And it's usually from my way. And some of us are carrying baggage and things that are from our past and all this stuff that we're just still trying to work through. And I just want you to know that there's grace. And I'm sorry. And the way that the world is structured and the things that people have done to us, man, it's messed up. But just admitting that there's an enemy within us. I was talking this week with some some friends. We were talking about just different experiences we, we've had where we've been excluded, we've been looked down on because of the color of our skin. I was like, yeah, man, I carry some of that stuff too. And admitting inside and saying, you know what, my my initial reaction is I just want to just be rude back to them or, or just like hate them in my heart or whatever it might be, right? Like that's the fleshly response. But just admitting that there's an enemy that lives within me and I, the only thing that can defeat it is Jesus Christ. But confessing that and saying, Lord, help me. Second, being shaped by the way of Jesus. Let me ask. Are you being shaped by the culture or by Jesus? You know, when that person asked me, I said, uh, you know, or woke people at your church, I said, well, did you have hippies in your church? Who was it during your time when you had people that were like, we don't want them in our church? We want to reach all people with the gospel. We want to be shaped by the way of Jesus. I want to be more focused on Jesus than some label or term that the world is out there using. Can we stop with that stuff? We are so afraid. But man, lean in. What my prayer is is that we are a multi-generational church that loves each other by the grace of God. Let's not be just a small group of people in one little age and stage that just f- flock together, but saying, "Man, I need all people to help me understand what it means to follow Jesus." That's the church. That's the church, friends. It is a multi-generational, multicultural group of people that sharpen each other and make themselves better by the grace of God. Please. Like, let's look to God, let's look to Scripture, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that. There's one researcher who said, um, he's not a Christian. Not a Christian. He says that even secular Westerners are deeply shaped by Christianity. Here's what he says. He argues this and and debates this specifically, um, that this idea is is paramount in our culture today, and it's because of Christianity. He says, um, Tom Holland, he says that every human being possessed an equal dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. A Roman would have laughed at it to campaign against discrimination on the grounds of gender or sexuality, however, was to depend on a large number, large numbers of people sharing in a common assumption that everyone possessed an inherent worth. The origins of this principle lay not in the French Revolution, nor in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, but in the Bible. In the Bible. Where do we get this idea of dignity for human life? Where do you get that idea? Wasn't from the Roman culture that they lived in, wasn't from the Enlightenment, wasn't from the French Revolution, wasn't from Declaration of Independence. You know where it's from? It's from this. (laughs) It's from this. Okay, let's explore that. What does that mean? Right? But being shaped by the way of Jesus, the way that he valued life, He valued women. How did Jesus do this? Let's walk that way. Lastly, choosing today who you will serve. Choosing today who you will serve. You know, our culture is not much different than other cultures of the past. Everything's calling you to worship something. There were different gods Molech, Mammon. There were different cultural gods within Roman culture that were calling you to worship and and bow a knee to them. And today, the call is, who will you serve? Who will you serve? Will I bow my knee to Jesus Christ? Well, I say, Jesus, whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you want, Lord, it's, it's you. That's the call. Because at the end here, what did it say? Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you believe that? Because here's the Jesus that we bow to, here's the Jesus that we confess. It's the Jesus in Isaiah 53, verses three through five. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. By his wounds we are healed. That's the Jesus that we look to. That's the Jesus that humbled himself, became one of us, died on a cross for our worst moments, for our sins, for the things that we thought our life was all about, and said, here's your new life. Your wounds can be healed. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you and just ask that you humble us, Lord. A call for humility. A song that we need to sing again and again. One, Lord, that looks a lot like Jesus Christ. Lord, may we um, surrender to that and grow in that. And learn in that. Ask questions and and, and really learn what it means to be disciples. May this be a safe place to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.